7, verses 5 and 6. We looked at this last week right at the end, but I want to just give a few more things about fasting, and then we'll begin to look at Esther's story and how it played into her decision. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5 says, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? And when ye did eat, and when ye did drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? And so what is God saying to his people here? He says, when you were fasting, you were focused on the spiritual. You were focused on me. But when you were eating, in verse number six, you were eating for you. You were eating for yourselves. There was physical. Fasting at its core is all about him. When we engage in the, the spiritual practice, the spiritual discipline, if you will, of fasting, uh, we are doing it because we want to be focused on him. It is eliminating a moment of self, no matter what it is. And again, uh, you can practice fasting from a lot of different things, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but at its core, it is eliminating a moment of self. We talked a few weeks ago about the need for sacrifice about the need uh, to give up some things because we recognize that God is the owner and that he is in control. Uh, we talked about the need to say no to self. That's what sacrifice is. It's saying no to self. It's saying no to something that we can have. Uh, maybe it's something that we should have or something that we want to have, not something that's bad, uh, but it's saying no to self. Uh, we, we talked about uh, in Romans chapter 12 where Paul uh, was imploring the Roman believers to be a living sacrifice. And that's what we are called to be as disciples of Christ, a living sacrifice. When you think about that idea of a living sacrifice, uh, typically a sacrifice, it by definition requires the death of something. It requires the end of something. It requires something to cease. And so a living sacrifice is an oxymoron, if you will. How can something be dead and yet still be living? And when I believe that a living sacrifice is a constant, a persistent, a perpetual death of something in our lives. And I believe that that something is self. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 30, I die daily. There is a daily moment, Paul says, when I die to myself. I, he says in another passage, I crucify the flesh. I'm going to say no to myself. I am not going to allow myself, my flesh, the physical, to have control over me. It's a constant denial of self. It's saying no uh, to things that are physical comforts for a time because we understand that we need the spiritual more. You know, uh, we, we, we need to practice this. Even if it's not necessarily fasting, we need to practice in our own lives just saying no to ourselves. Uh, doing things a certain way for the Lord because it means that we'll say no to self. Uh, this is kind of a crude illustration, but I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of the reasons I believe uh, for me, and this is different for everybody, but for me, uh, one of the reasons why I dress up and try, try to honor the Lord in the way that I appear on Sundays 
is because I want to say no to self. Because if it was up to me, I'll be honest, I would love to be able to stand up here in front of you or get up on the platform and lead worship in jeans that were nice and comfortable, in sneakers that were also nice and comfortable, in a shirt that was nice and comfortable, and a ball cap. And it's not because I'm trying to be like somebody else. It's not because uh, I want a certain look. That's comfortable to me. And you would probably agree that that's comfortable to you. Uh, wearing a tie, it's not comfortable. Those of you that have them on, you understand right now. Uh, those of you that don't have to wear them, man, kudos to you. Uh, but it, for me, and again, I'm just talking about me. For whatever reason that you decide to do it, that's completely up to you. One of the reasons that I will do it is because I'm going to say no to myself, and I'm going to do something that maybe is uncomfortable to myself uh, because I want to say yes to the Lord. I want to honor the Lord. I want to say no to myself for a time to say yes to the Lord. Uh, fasting, listen, you may hear the word fasting and immediately tune it out because you think, well, that's something for someone super spiritual. Uh, you may hear the word fasting and think, well, that's never something that I can do. That's for the pastor, or that's for the deacons, or that's for somebody that teaches Sunday school. That's, someone, that's something for someone who is uber spiritual. But can I say that fasting, because of what it does, it denies self and gets us in tune with the spiritual. It is for those of us who think we shouldn't do it. It's for those of us who are the weakest spiritually. It's for those of us who don't think we have the answers. It's for those of us who don't think we can see what direction that we're supposed to go. It's for those of us that are trying to get closer to the Lord because we realize that we are farther away from him than we should be. Uh, fasting is for those who need it most. And, and again, fasting is saying no to something physical because we understand a need, a greater need for something spiritual. And we most commonly will associate fasting with saying no to food, because in the Bible, typically that's how it's referred to. But I believe that you can broaden the principle of fasting and apply it to anything that is physical, that is something that you can and want and maybe should have, because it's still something that's good. For instance, food. Nothing wrong with food. We all need food. We all want food, amen? Uh, some of you want food right now, uh, and uh, you wouldn't be wrong for that. Uh, but fasting is saying no to something that is physical, to say yes to something that is spiritual. Um, it could be an activity that you engage in on a regular basis. Again, not wrong, not bad, but you say you want to say yes during that time for something spiritual. Uh, it may be social media. It may be your phone, and you decide to say no to your phone and to technology and, uh, for a time, except for maybe when you need to use it for work or school, but you say no to it for a time so that you can say yes to something spiritual. Uh, it may be entertainment. It may be the television. It may be uh, video games. It may be something that you can say no to a time, something that you use that time usually for that thing, and it's okay, it's good, there's nothing wrong with it, but you say, I'm going to say no to it for this amount of time so that I can say yes to something spiritual. Uh, it may be, uh, okay, I'm going I'm to say this, all right, and I want you to listen to me. For those of you that are in school, for those of you uh, that have classes right now, it may be saying no to studying and preparing for something. Now, 
you say, well, hold on a second. I need to do that. And I'm not saying that you need to shirk your responsibilities. I'm not saying that you need to not be prepared for a test or a quiz. Certainly that is a part of what your purpose is right now, to be a student, uh, to be in school, to pass your classes, to continue on in your education. That's part of the purpose that God has for you. Uh, but God may honor you taking some time to say no to that. And, and we can all say, oh yeah, I'll say no to studying. I'll say no to preparing. And then we you know, turn the TV on and we binge watch a Netflix show or we play some video games. And that's not what I'm talking about. Talk about saying no to something that is good, something uh, saying no to something that you even need so that you can say yes to something that is spiritual. Um, fasting requires you to look beyond your own needs. Fasting is thinking about something that is spiritual instead of just focusing on what is physical, things that you need. Uh, again, when you eat, very rarely are you thinking about anyone other than yourself. Maybe you're thinking about the person that made it and how good it is, but typically you're thinking of how good this is, if it's something delicious. You're th at lunch today, you know, you're going to go home and uh, there's a roast at my house that's waiting for me when I get home. Uh, you're going to go to the restaurant maybe for lunch and you're going to order something that, you know, you like to get every time and you're going to eat that and you're just going to enjoy it. You think, man, this is so good. But you're only thinking about what it means to you. And when we say no to that, we have the opportunity to think about something spiritual, to say yes to something spiritual. Uh, fasting demonstrates our great need for God. When you engage in the principle of fasting, when you are engaging in that discipline of fasting and you're saying no or your phone, or entertainment, or whatever it is, you say no to that, and you are saying, you are shouting to the heavens how much you need God. You are declaring your need for God. You say, God, you are more important to me than whatever this is that I'm giving up for this time. You're more important to me than this meal. You're more important to me than this hour on the couch watching TV. You're more important to me than this five minutes of scrolling through Facebook. You're more important to me. And, and the person, here's the thing, okay? We said, get into this that people only who are desperate and broken and don't think they can spiritual, those are the people that need fasting. Those who are self-dependent, those who think they have it all together, those who uh, think they are strong by themselves, they do not fast. They, 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 do not, uh, they do not engage in saying no because they don't see the greater need spiritually, but a desperate person will. Someone who understands how much they need him spiritually. Listen, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. You cannot live uh, the, the, your spiritual walk. You cannot uh, go on this journey, this path to finding purpose on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. Uh, you need him. You can't make things happen by yourself. You can't call on your flesh, the physical part of you, to defeat the flesh, to defeat uh, what will uh, combat the spiritual. By fasting, you d demonstrate a true desire to grow closer to God and to make, uh, uh, to align yourself under his rule. We 
talked last week about how God's people in the Bible, when they engaged in fasting, most of the time it was because they were under a crisis. They needed a change. They needed God to lead them. They needed God to direct them. They needed God to give them an answer in some way. And, and many times that's when we will engage in fasting as well, when we need to be in more in tune with the spiritual. We need our spiritual antennas to be up and receiving the, uh, receiving the message that's coming from heaven. And while you may need change in the physical, you may be looking at your life right now and thinking, I, I need direction, I need uh, uh, I need leading. You may need change in what is physical around you. The answer is going to come from the spiritual. Let me say this too. Fasting is not an effort to manipulate God to give you an answer that you want. Don't look as fasting as, God, I need this certain thing. I need this to happen. I want you to do this certain thing. So I'm going to fast from whatever, a meal or whatever it is, to twist your arm, God, and convince you to give me this or to convince you to do this to me. That's not what fasting is about because it's still all about you at that point. Fasting is an attempt to be more in tune with what he's already doing and how he's already leading. That's what fasting is. Fasting is not to get something accomplished. Fasting is not to try to get God to answer a certain way. Fasting is not to get a certain prayer answered a certain way. Fasting is for the sole purpose of saying, God, I want to know what you're already doing. I want to know how you're already leading. I want to know how you're already directing and what your purpose for me already is. I want you to direct and guide and lead me. That's what fasting is for. It's telling God that he is more important to you than anything else that you have, anything else that you need, or anything else that you want at that moment. That's what fasting is. And that's what Esther did. Esther, in her greatest moment of need, in her greatest moment of decision, she said, we're going to take three days, and we're going to take some time to let God know how much we need him, and to find out how he is going to lead us at this time. And so let's look at the story of Esther again and apply all that we have seen from fasting, what it is, saying no to the physical to say yes to the spiritual, demonstrating our great need for God. How does it apply to Esther? Well, number one, Esther admitted her need for God by making that decision, making that her first choice of action Esther admitted her need for God. We read verses 15 and 16 just a minute ago. We won't do it again. Uh, but Esther's first choice, soon as Mordecai told her what she needed to do, that she was going to be the one that needed to go in to see the king. She was going to need to do something that no one else was permitted to do and might even cost her her life. The first thing Esther said was, look, well, then we need to find out what God's going to have us do. We need to get God involved here. Uh, she knew what she was about to do. She knew that what she was about to do, she could not do alone. She could not do it in her own strength. She could not do it in her own power. She needed something more than what she could do on her own. 
She was being asked to do something beyond her ability, uh, above her pay grade, and certainly past her understanding. Esther was being asked to do something that no one should be asked to do, to literally sacrifice her life for her people. And I look at, look at chapter 5 and verse number 1. We know that Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews and all of her maidens in the, the, the temple there or the, uh, the, the palace there, they were all fasting. And through that whole time, you can imagine the fear and trepidation and anxiety that would just rise in Esther's heart and in her, in her very spirit as she was preparing to do something that probably in her mind she's thinking it's over. Look at verse number one, or five, chapter five, verse number one. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. Can you imagine as Esther stood there? She's not even gone into the presence of the king. She sees the house. She's in the inner court. She sees the palace where the king is. And as she stands there, the fear that must have been in her heart, knowing that at any moment as she took that next step to go into the palace, her life could be over. And she stood there. But Esther, here, here's the thing. Esther wasn't trying to do it alone. Because she had already said, God, I need you. Uh, she, had already, she was able to take that step because she had already said, God, I need you. I need you to lead me. I need you to direct me. And at that point now, she was going to be able to take that step of faith. You know, if you hear, if you hear uh, this, maybe this is the first time you really heard an explanation of what fasting is. Or, or maybe you, you've heard about fasting before and dismissed it. You hear it again and you think, well, I don't, I don't know. That's probably not for me. If, if, if you're unwilling to even consider it, if you're unwilling to fast, then you are admitting your perceived lack of need for God. It's a perceived, I don't need God. I don't need his help. I can do this by myself. If we're all, if all of us, if we were to ask the question across the board, do we need God? Probably all of us would raise our hand. But when it gets down to brass tacks, do we really need God? Do we live life that admits our need for God? Do we, do we go through daily life asking God to help us? Like the song says, I need thee every hour. Or how, I mean, how much of life do we live by ourselves? in our own strength, in our own power. And I, I'm raising my hand right there with you. But if we were to constant, consciously, excuse me, consciously choose to say no to something physical, to say yes to something spiritual because we understand our need for God, we might be taking a step in the right direction. See, the key to living the Christian life is not doing it yourself. The key to the Christian life is not trying to live it by yourself. The key to living the Christian life is, as Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, to be close to me, to have that relationship in me, uh, to allow me to work and, and, and flow through you, Jesus says. Abide in me, because without me, he says, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. Esther started off this 
pivotal moment in her life, when she's about to make the biggest decision and take the biggest step of her life, she started it off admitting her need for God, saying no to something physical because she knew she needed something spiritual. But then secondly, what did this do for Esther? Number two, Esther prepared the way to move forward in obedience. Esther prepared the way to move forward in obedience. Esther comes in. Look at verse number two of Esther chapter five. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen. So, so Esther is standing there. She approaches, and I can almost only imagine she's walking in with her eyes closed. She's saying another prayer to God as she walks in, just expecting almost instantaneously for the order to be given, her head to be taken off right there. But as she stands there, look at verse 2, and it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. So in that moment, God moved, and the king's heart was ready because he hadn't seen Esther in a while, and he wanted to see her again, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, and that was the sign that she was being accepted, that she could approach him. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of thy kingdom. So now, because Esther has shown God her need for him and how much she needs him, and because Esther has taken that step of faith, now God's going to do something even greater than Esther could have imagined because she's standing before the king. She's not dead. That's a plus. And the king says, What do you want? I'll give you even the half of my kingdom. Now, if you were Esther, and you'd just been expecting to die a few minutes before, and the king of the greatest empire in the world at the time is asking, what do you want? I'll give you even the half of my empire. You would say, okay, let's do this. I'll take it. Give me the half that's got Haman in it. Uh, problem solved. Unbelievable. But Esther shows wisdom. She shows restraint. She shows, she shows character in response. She could have had anything that she wanted at this moment. She could have even brought the issue right up right there. Hey, kill, kill Haman. Take care of it. No questions asked. But she knew that there was a bigger picture. There was a bigger problem to solve. And so instead, she chooses to invite the king and Haman to dinner. Look at verse 4 there. And Esther answered, If it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet, banquet that Esther had prepared. They say that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And I will echo that in a minute. Um, and Esther understood that apparently. Because now she's going to try to influence the king by inviting him and Haman to dinner. And it's interesting because, um, you know, if you, if you have guests over to your house, it's one thing if you're just at home and, you know, you like to eat at 6 and it's 5.45. Hmm, what should we eat tonight? I don't know. Oh, you, you can pretty much throw something together if it's just you or if it's just you and your family. Uh, but if you have guests coming over to your house, if it's a big deal, this is a big meal, most of the time you're going to plan it. You're going to prepare it. You're going to at least think about it the night before. Uh, you're going to put some time and effort into it. I dare say that if, if Pastor and Mrs. Tool were to come to your house and you were in charge of making dinner for them, you would have planned and prepared this for at least a little while, at least I hope. Um, we like to plan and prepare. And obviously, Esther 
this is a big deal. This is the king and the guy that she's trying to take out so that she could save her people. This is a big deal. And look what it says in verse number four. Remember, this is Esther appearing before the king the first time after she's been fasting for three days. And Esther said, if it seemed good to the king, let the king and Haman come this day into the banquet. What? That I have prepared. So during the time that Esther is fasting, she's also preparing. During the time that Esther is fasting and not eating, probably bad timing, she's trying to figure out what to make the king. Calculated decisions, getting everything together, making sure that it is just right, exactly what the king would want. Uh, and, I'm, and this probably made her decision to fast and say no to food and the physical even more difficult. You know, you know the old saying, you, uh, you don't go shopping on an empty stomach, right? You don't do that. And Esther's fasting now while she's preparing this massive feast for the king. Uh, but it's amazing because during the time that Esther was fasting, this is, this, is, this is important, during the time that Esther was fasting, it was not just a time of being locked in a closet cut off from reality. Esther's fasting, her saying no to the physical, was preparing her for what was going to come after this. It was preparation to move forward in obedience. Esther said, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the direction or the purpose is, but I know that God's got an answer. I know that God's got something for me, and so I'm going to prepare for it. She was prepared. Esther had done more than just fast and pray. She followed God's leading to allow him to continue to work and to fulfill his purpose. So when you're fasting, you take that moment to say no to the physical, to say yes to the spiritual, because you want God to direct and lead you, then be ready for his answer. And be prepared to move forward in obedience. Say, God, whatever it is, I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm prepared. Whatever it is, I want to go. Even Esther at this time, she doesn't even still know what she's going to do. Look at number three. Esther didn't rely on past victories for present battles. Esther didn't rely on past victories for present battles. This is important. When Esther met the king the first time, the very first time, during the Miss Persia beauty contest, the Bible says that she came very simply. All she had was very, she did not come elaborately, she didn't come with pomp and circumstance, she came very simply to present herself, her character, to the king, and he accepted her because of that. But that is all changed now, because now this second time that we see Esther meeting the king, now she's going to invite him to dinner. Now it's going to be an elaborately planned banquet to invite the king and the same guy. Uh, and, and remember, okay, it has to be something big. This guy knew how to party. It was the same guy that had thrown a six-month-long party before. So this couldn't be a, you know, happy meal dinner. Uh, this had to be something big. And Esther had it prepared. Can I say this, and, and then we'll move on. Just because God does something one way the first time, it does not mean that he's going to do it the same way the second time. 
See, and, and, and we get so caught up in, well, God did it this way the first time, or God answered this way the first time. That means he's going to do it the second way the second, or the same way the second time. And when he doesn't, then we get disillusioned with God. We say, well, God must not be there, or God doesn't love me, or God doesn't hear me. No, that's not how God works. You can't put God in a box. You can't look at the process and just trust the process of how God answers. You have to look at God. That's why we need him. That's why we need to hear from him. That's why we need to allow him to lead us and guide us and direct us. Too many of us find comfort in seeking the repetition of past victories through past strategies rather than developing the new areas of trust and faith in following the Lord. God doesn't want you to trust processes or strategies. God doesn't want you to, you know, trust, well, if I pray five times this week, then I'll get the answer I'm looking for by the end of the week. That's not what he's looking for. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to seek him. We get tunnel vision. We expect God to do the same thing the same way every single time. And although God is a God of consistency and a God of order, and he does do things the same way many times, we cannot always approach it that way. We can't put God in a box. We become more reliant on the process instead of the provider. And fasting breaks us of that because it's God, I need you. Remember, it's not God, I need you to do this a certain way. It's I need you. And then lastly, number four, Esther acted in faith with what she'd been given. I don't even have time to elaborate on this, and this is so good, but Esther sought God because she needed his wisdom in that very moment for that particular circumstance. She needed it. And when she heard, she literally stepped out in faith as she, she approached the king that first time, beginning in chapter 5. And now as she continues on, as she allows the Lord to lead her with this banquet, and at the end of the banquet, the king says, now, offer still on the table. Do you want half the kingdom? What do you want, Esther? And it's amazing. Look, look at this. Esther chapter 5, look at verse 6. And the king said unto Esther, the banquet of wine, what is thy petition? What, and it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is. Okay, so she's about to answer. But look at the end of that line. Look at the punctuation at the end of that line. Because that's significant. And if you don't like English, I'm sorry. But the end of that line, there is a semicolon. It means there's a pause. It seems that Esther was going to answer one way, but right in the middle as she was stalking, she had to stop because God was directing her a different way. Maybe at this moment she was going to tell the king about Haman and what he was about to do. Take care of the whole problem right here. But God stopped her and said, hey, let's move back this way. And Esther acted in faith. We're waiting for God to do something many times in life when he's been waiting for us to take the first step. We're waiting for God to do something when many times he's waiting for us to do the first step. You read throughout scripture, when God does great things for his people, many times it's because they took the first step. When Moses, when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, Moses had to hold up his rod first. When the children of Israel were going to cross the Jordan River, 
To go into the promised land, the priests had to go into the water first. When they were going to march around the city of Jericho and God was going to make the walls come tumbling down, they had to walk around the walls. Uh, when David was going to defeat Goliath, he still had to find stones. He had to pick them up. He had to put them in a sling, and he had to sling it around and run towards the giant. God does great things, but he's waiting for us to take a step of faith. God will move when we move in faith. What does the Bible say in James, draw nigh to God. You draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He will draw nigh to you. God wants to see that you believe him, not just hear you say that you believe him. He wants to see it. Faith is measured in footsteps. It's footsteps toward the Lord. It's footsteps, it's action. It, showed, it shows up in your walk and not just in your talk. Let me say this, okay? We close the door on fasting. The question about fasting is not whether or not it makes a difference. The question about fasting is how badly do you want it? How badly do you need him? Because if whatever the Lord may be speaking to you about fasting, a meal, uh, an activity, your phone, social media, entertainment, maybe it is studying and preparing for school. Whatever it is, if, if your first response is, I need that, then that ought to be a sign. If you say, I need something, and I understand that we talk about things that we need. We need food, we need clothing, we need shelter, we need all of these things. We need to be prepared for school. There's a lot of things that we need. But if in our heart of hearts, our first need is, I need him. If it's not that, then we need to really examine this. We need to really look at our hearts and our lives and find out what do we really need. Fasting says no to the physical, to say no to the spiritual because we realize we need Him. Mm -hmm.